if you will, turn in your Bibles to the first chapter, the book of Ezekiel, as we continue our study through the Word. Now, it had been a, a turbulent period of time that led up to the Babylonian exile. You will remember that the northern ten tribes, that, that God was telling them to turn their hearts back towards him or, or they would be taken out of the land. And you'll remember that they continued to be stiff-necked and rebellious against God. And, and so the Assyrians came in and, and they took the ten northern tribes and to captivity. They, they turned and marched in towards uh, Judah, but uh, Jerusalem was able to uh, repel the insertion of God's uh, hand protecting them when the uh, angel wiped uh, out the Assyrian uh, army overnight and, and they withdrew. And, and then it was a time when, when Babylon and Assyria and Egypt were all kind of contending for power. The Assyrians were on the decline. The Babylonians were on the rise. And, and ultimately, the Babylonians defeated not only the Assyrians, but also the Egyptians. And, and they come into power. They take over Judah. And, and that was the first deportation. They established Judah as a, a vassal. They were going to pay their tribute on an annual basis to Babylon. And, and that was when Daniel gets deported now in that first wave into Babylon. There is a, a rebellion that takes place and, and Babylon comes back in and puts down the rebellion. And, and that was then when the second wave was taken and deported to Babylon. We're going to see that Ezekiel is part of that second wave that is deported. He is a prophet there, but he is a prophet in Babylon in the same way that uh, that. Daniel is also a prophet in Babylon. And, and you remember that Jeremiah was the prophet that, that was there in Jerusalem. And, and remember how Jeremiah was telling them that, that they are going to be judged by God and, and Babylon is going to take them into captivity and is going to destroy the city. And, and you remember that the Jews never believed it. They, they believed that we have the temple. God would never allow that to happen. And, and you remember how difficult Jeremiah's ministry was and how they rejected the prophecies that he was giving to them. They beat him. They threw him down into the well, arrested him. And Jeremiah had a very, very difficult ministry there in Jerusalem. Ultimately, Zedekiah, the last king, rebels against Babylon, joins a, a confederation of other nations in rebelling against Babylon. And Babylon comes in and, and sweeps through the rebellion, and that was when they then destroyed Jerusalem, and they took that final group uh, uh, and deported them to Babylon, and, and Jerusalem lay in ashes and, and heaps exactly as Jeremiah had ministered. Ezekiel, 
He was part of that second deportation. So his ministry really has two halves. In the first half, he is going to be declaring that God is going to bring judgment on the remnant that is still there in Jerusalem. Now, you remember that there were a lot of false prophets that were saying that God is going to smite the Babylonians, that, uh, that our fellow countrymen are going to return, the temple is going to be exalted, our nation is going to be blessed. And so there were all of these false prophets that were declaring that God is not going to judge the Jews and they are never going to lose their city and they are never going to lose their temple. We're going to see that Ezekiel from inside Babylon is going to be ministering to the Jewish community. Now, Daniel ministered from the capital city there in Babylon, but we see that Ezekiel is going to not be in the capital city. He is going to be there as a, a large group of Jews that, uh, that now were gathered together on the uh, the canal, the lake, the, the river Chadar, uh, and, and it is there about 20 miles from the capital city. This is where Ezekiel is going to be ministering. And so for the first half of his ministry, he, he's letting the people know that God is going to judge the nation, that we have rebelled and that we are being, you know, having our consequences for not being obedient to God. So the first half of Ezekiel takes place before that final destruction of Jerusalem. Then the final destruction takes place. The rest of the Jews now are deported. And from that point forwards, we see that his becomes a ministry of hope and reconciliation that God's not done with the nation, that he's going to bring them back into the land again, and that he is going to forgive them their sins. So we really have very two completely different halves of in the book here in Ezekiel. Now, what's interesting here in this first chapter, the first couple chapters that we are going to see is it really starts off with the call of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a priest and, uh, and so he's functioning in that in capacity, but, but God then comes to him and, and gives him a vision uh, of himself. And so his ministry begins with this awesome, incredible vision of God's throne and of God exalted on his throne. And, and so that is what we are going to, uh, to look at here this evening. And so it is interesting because we have glimpses of the throne room of God throughout the scriptures. Isaiah has a vision of the, of the Lord and the, and the throne. We see the book of Revelation has John being called caught up in describing the, uh, the throne room there. We have Ezekiel now is going to also give us, an, and all of these are, are in parallel to uh, each other. Now, what's interesting to remember is that they are being caught up into the spirit. They are trying to describe things that have no earthly correlation whatsoever. They're going to say, well, it was kind of like this and kind of like that because there are absolutely 
no words to describe the things that they were seeing and the vision that God was allowing them to. And so we see the, the way in which God just reveals himself now to Ezekiel and prepares him and calls him to his ministry. You remember how on the road to Damascus, how Saul encounters the Lord and and then the Lord shows him the things that uh, he is going to suffer, sends and commissions him uh, forwards uh, now to be the, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, in the same way, we see that God is going to commission uh, Ezekiel here to be a prophet unto his people, and, and he is going to tell him of the hardship of his ministry, that his people are rebelling against uh, God himself. They have become dull of the ear, and, and they are not spiritually sensitive, and, and so they are going to not listen to Ezekiel's uh, words. And, and so Ezekiel is going to have a difficult ministry that is before him. We see that once again, standing up and declaring the truth about God in a culture that doesn't want to hear the truth, but would rather hear what they want to hear. We see that this is always difficult. And, and we see that the Lord is going to tell Ezekiel not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to speak the words that I put into your mouth. Do not be afraid of people's reactions when, when you are declaring truth to them. And I think that that is a, a great word for us today, to not be afraid to walk in the truth of God's word, uh, the words that God has put down and recorded for us, that, that we don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. We don't need to be ashamed of our faith. We don't need to be ashamed of the moral standard that God has established. And, and our culture doesn't want to hear those moral standards, doesn't want to hear the word sin. You know, we see that we are living in a time when, when just the declaration of God's truth feels like judgment to them. And, and one of the favorite things our culture is saying is, don't judge me. Don't, don't judge me. And I always say, I'm not. God is. He, he's the one that has declared. I haven't made these things up. I'm not, I'm not the one that established what, what sin is or the moral authority here upon this, uh, upon this earth. But, uh, but we see again, how people are closed uh, off now. And people want to do what they want to do. And, and so when you have truth, but they are not wanting to receive truth, there, there, there is that pushback and that uh, discomfort. And, and it's easier to just not contend for the faith. It's just, you just, it's easier to just, you know, hey, I, I've got my relationship with Jesus. I'm, you know, I'm content uh, with that. But that's not what God has called us to do. You'll remember on the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the, uh, of the earth. And, and so we have been commissioned to, in love, and I want to stress that, in love, speak God's truth to our culture and the influence that God has given to us in the various different platforms that he has placed us in. So, Ezekiel is, is this priest that suddenly now God is just going to tap unexpectedly 
on the shoulder and is going to commission him for a purpose. And, and so let's see how Ezekiel records for us now. Beginning in the first chapter, verse 1, and it says, Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. We see here that God appears to Ezekiel in this uh, inaugural vision here, this first vision. And, and it was the 30th year, the fourth month, the fifth day. And, and so we see that it was also the, the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. So we see that King Jehoiachin was taken into captivity in that second, uh, the second um, captive, uh, captives that were brought to, to Babylon. And, and so Ezekiel was brought at the same time that Jehoiachin was. Daniel had already been there for about eight years. Daniel came eight years before the second uh, wave uh, happened. And, and so Ezekiel and Jehoiachin were there. So he's been there ministering for five years. They've already been five years there in Babylon. And one of the issues was that the people didn't want to settle in because they hoped that they were going to be able to just quickly get out of Babylon, return back, and, and that God was going to restore them. And we are going to see that you know, the prophets are going to tell them, build homes, build your lives there, God. You are not returning soon. And, and so this was an unsettling message now to the people who wanted to return back again. So uh, he was uh, resettled there next to the Kabar River. Uh, and, and we see that, that this 30th year, uh, this correlates now to the 30th year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar's father. Uh, and so he was the king before Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, and so uh, this now ties in. Sometimes people think that, uh, that this was the age of uh, Ezekiel as a, a priest. Uh, but in all likelihood, Ezekiel would have been uh, older than, uh, than this at this time. And, uh, and so oftentimes they will use dates off of the king's reigns to kind of place you there. And so he says, I saw visions of, uh, of God. We see that he is going to, uh, to give us uh, and begin to give us these visions. And, and the view of God, how that uh, profoundly influenced uh, him. You remember how Isaiah, I saw the Lord seated on the throne in the year that King Uzziah died, high and exalted. And, and we see that, that in Isaiah's ministry, how, how God begins by showing him just a vision of himself, a vision of his glory here. And, and so it says in verse 2, and on the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And so we see King Jehoiachin, he was the, the 18th, he was the next to last 
king of Judah. The, uh, the last uh, king would be uh, Zedekiah. And, uh, and so we see that uh, the word of the Lord now points to the source of uh, Ezekiel's uh, message. Ezekiel was going to receive the message uh, from God, and then he was to deliver that. And so we discover in these verses that uh, he is a priest, that he is the son of Buzi. Now, nobody really knows uh, anything about Buzi, and, uh, and Buzi, the name means contempt and and so there are all different uh, opinions that this wasn't the actual name, but this was a title. And, and the Jews, the ancient Jews, uh, said that Ezekiel, that Buzi, uh, contempt, son of contempt, remember that Ezekiel was uh, in Jerusalem before he was brought into captivity. And, uh, and so there are Jews that say that, uh, that Ezekiel is actually the son of Jeremiah. And that you remember how contemptuously everybody treated Jeremiah. And so, but we don't have uh, a, a, any corroborating evidence of that. We don't see that Jeremiah ever uh, declares that he had uh, uh, any children. And, uh, and so here it, it's best just that, you know, I believe he's Ezekiel, the priest. He's the son of Buzi. And that's all we get to know about him. Uh, the hand of the Lord, though, now was upon him there. God had chosen him. The Bible says that God searches to and fro the earth looking for those who are seeking after him, who are desiring to serve him and, and to love him. And, and so here we see that, that the hand of the Lord now takes and constrains him into ministry. He wasn't acting on his own initiative. And, and so here we see that, that the Lord is now going to call him. We see that uh, he is going to describe now a, a vision that he was uh, given and, and it begins with a, a revelation of, uh, of himself. And you'll remember how Moses uh, now at the burning bush encountered the, uh, the God, the living God, and, and he was commissioned uh, there. We see also how uh, Isaiah was commissioned in Jeremiah and, and Daniel. And, uh, and so here we see that it, it begins uh, now with God just revealing himself to Ezekiel. He says in verse 4, Then I, I looked, and behold, a, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it, and radiating out of its mist like the color of amber, out of the midst uh, of the fire. So the, the revelation begins now as this, this whirlwind. It starts to, uh, to come. Now, whirlwind uh, in the scriptures uh, oftentimes uh, speaks of judgment, the judgment of God. So he sees the judgment of God coming uh, out of the north. And so that could be a reference to Babylon and to the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem that was uh, coming. But this... Mm, fire that took hold of itself. It says it, it was this whirlwind. It was a great cloud and it had a raging fire. 
he said that was engulfing itself. And so engulfing itself, it, it was moving and engulfing everything. It was pulling everything in, drawing it in, and then consuming. So as it moved, it was drawing it in and then consuming it as it moved. And, and he says that, that the brightness was all around it and it was radiating out of its midst, like the color of an amber. And so we see that, that this had like glowing coals, like when you're barbecuing and you blow on the coals and, and it is alive and, and moving. That's, that's the word here that is being used. And, and so once again, so difficult to, to describe now the, these things that, that, that are heavenly scenes, that, that there is no human language language and and there is no basis to be able to uh, explain it and so it has the the appearance uh, of or, or or trying to accurately describe it is impossible and uh, and so we see that throughout God gives us these little pictures in the scriptures of the heavenly scenes. You'll remember that Moses was commanded to build the, the tabernacle and he was given the, the specific instructions that he comes down from Mount Sinai with. And God tells him, to build it exactly, to be very, very precise in the building of it because we see that the tabernacle was actually an, an earthly model uh, of the throne there in uh, heaven and of the Holy of Holies uh, representing the, uh, the throne of God. And so uh, we see that, uh, that there was the the mercy seat that was to go in and and we see the angels that had their wings and touching each other over the uh, the mercy seat we see that once again these are the the pictures now of the uh, of the throne of god that that ezekiel is about to uh, to see and is beginning here he says and also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a, a man. Now, Ezekiel, in the midst of this cloud, this consuming fire that is moving, that's radiating, that's bright, that, that has all of this energy, he sees that there are, are now four living creatures that are there inside. They, these are cherubim, and we're going to discover that later in chapter 10. He's going to tell us that they are cherubim. And so they're cherub. I am at the end means plural. And so they are... Uh, a special order of angelic beings that God created. And, uh, and so we are going to begin to see this description uh, of them here on the tabernacle uh, on the Ark of the Covenant. Those uh, angels that are carved into the top, these are cherubim. And uh, they guarded over, they faced over the, uh, the mercy seat on the, uh, on the Ark. And, uh, and so... We are going to get a, a further description of them uh, later on. But Isaiah, in, in the sixth chapter of his prophecy, describes the, the vision of heaven. And, and he describes the throne of God. And 
those being around the throne of God and these angelic beings. And, and once again, in Revelation, when John is caught up into heaven and sees the throne of God, and he sees these living creatures, you will remember, and the four of them around the throne of God, and they are saying, holy, holy, holy. These are the, the cherubim now. And so he sees these cherubim there in the midst of, uh, of this uh, whirlwind uh, now and it says and they had the likeness uh, of a man and so they are highly intelligent forms of, of being their history goes all the way back the first that we see of them is in the book of genesis it is after Adam and Eve fall and they are put out of the garden and it was a, a cherub that now guarded the the gate so that Adam couldn't come back in and partake of the uh, the tree of life and and so we see him from Genesis all the way through to the book of uh, Revelation. And so the four of them they are in this whirlwind now. And he says in, in verse 6, and each one had four faces, and each one had four wings, and their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet, and they sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. And, uh, and so uh, we see now that, uh, that they have these four faces and they have these four wings. He says that their legs were straight. So, uh, so the cherubim, they were standing up. He says, but they didn't have regular feet. They didn't have feet like, uh, like you and I have feet. They had, uh, instead, uh, they had the cloved uh, feet uh, like, a, uh, like a calf. Um, and so he says, and the hands of a man were under their wings uh, on their four sides, uh, and each of the four had faces and wings, and, and their wings touched uh, one another. And the creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight and forward. So the four cherubim are in a, are in a square, and their wings go forth, uh, in each direction, and then they touch the wing of the other one that is in the other corner, and so the four have their wings touching, and, and they form a square now around. He says that when they moved, they moved in a straight line. They only went 90 degrees, and, and so they always went straight forwards. It says, as for the likeness of their faces... Each had the face of a man. Each, had the, each of the four had the face of a, a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had the face uh, of an eagle. And so we see here that there are these four faces that were uh, on these in cherubim. Uh, now, we see that uh, the open to possible interpretations of uh, of what it means, what those different faces uh, meant. What, uh, but uh, many believe, and they see in it the four different aspects of Christ, the four faces, if you will, 
of Jesus as taught in the Gospels. Now, you'll remember that uh, in Matthew, that Jesus is shown as a, a lion. He is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. We see in Mark pictures Jesus now as a servant. And so uh, the ox, which was uh, used for its great strength. And we see that Luke brings out the humanity uh, of Jesus. And so the face of a man. And in John's gospel, he brings out the majesty of Jesus and that represented in the eagle. Uh, And so the four different gospels representing and focusing on a a different attribute or a different face of Christ in in his ministry. Thus were their faces, their wings stretched upward, two wings of each one touched one another, and two covered their bodies. And each one went straight forward, and they went wherever the Spirit wanted to go, and they did not turn when they went. And so we see now that uh, that Ezekiel describes the wings and, and how the wings were stretched up and were touching, and that with the other set of wings that they were covering themselves and, and they were covering their bodies in, in reverence. We see that the motion of the four was always straightforwards in one direction or another. And so they were able to move about, always moving in, towards the direction of one of the faces. And, and so they were led by the Spirit and the motion directing them by the Spirit. They could go in any direction, but they never turned their face. As for the likeness of the living creatures, Their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning, and the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. So here you can just see that he's just trying to describe this indescribable situation is, is really, you know, what's happening here. The, the, the creatures were described as brilliant light, as glowing metal, as burnished bronze. And, and now they, they, they look like they're coals of fire or they're like torches. The, the glowing embers now are interspersed with this fire that was moving back and forth among the creatures and uh, and so uh, we see that uh, that it says and, and they moved and it says and their appearance was like a flash of lightning that is they moved with the speed of lightning that's how fast they were moving is just in all different directions uh, here and now Ezekiel, so he sees the four cherubim, and he's going to look below the cherubim. So the cherubim are connected into this square. What you're going to see the cherubim are doing is, is that they are supporting the throne of God. And so they are the base now of the throne. So this is the first thing that Ezekiel sees is this base with the angels and with their wings now connected. But before he looks up, he first looks down. And now, underneath these four cherubim that are kind of forming the the base now, 
it's going to be the, the wheels. And in verse 15 it says, And now as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. And the appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of barrel and all four had the same likeness and the appearance of their workings was as it were a wheel in the middle of the wheel. And so on the ground next to the, the cherub uh, are these, <laughs> these wheels. And, and now he says that there's this wheel that's inside of the wheel that's next to the, uh, next to the cherubim. It says, when they moved, they went toward any one of the four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. And as for their rims, they were so high. They, they were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. Have you ever seen anything like this in your life? <laughs> this giant rim and it had eyes uh, all the way uh, around it. And, and here again, you know, Ezekiel is just trying to write, you know, what exactly God showed him and, and what he revealed. And, uh, and, and so they could roll in four directions without being turned, and they could move with the cherubim, and their height now was uh, impressive, and, and then the wheel was full of eyes. Now, uh, we see that this unusual feature uh, many scholars believe that this speaks of God's omniscience, that uh, his eyes are, are, are looking in all directions, that he sees uh, everything in, in all directions. This is just kind of a, a visual manifestation of that attribute uh, of uh, God. And, uh, and so, uh, verse 19, when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. And wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, because there the Spirit went. And the wheels were lifted together with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And when those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And, and so we see that Ezekiel has this vision of God on this mobile platform. And the cherubim are, are supporting this platform. And, and as directed, the wheels responded and the chariot was propelled on, on its way. And we see that there was this perfect unity uh, now between the living creatures and the wheels. And it was directed by the Spirit of God. Uh, and so uh, you see that, that, that you start to just have difficulty putting this uh, you know, picture together because it, it's supernatural. There, there's no point of reference for anything like this. And, and here is Ezekiel. And he is just blown away by what God is showing him. And in verse 22, it says, The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal, 
stretched out and over their heads. So uh, above, uh, above the cherubim now, he says, was this, was this giant crystal. It was just this, this crystal that was uh, over their head. You remember when John... Uh, in Revelation, sees the throne, and he, and he says, and God's throne was on a sea of glass. And here, looking from uh, underneath it, he, he says, over the heads of the cherubim on this mobile throne here uh, was just this, uh, this incredible, awesome crystal that stretched uh, across uh, over their heads. And verse 23, and under the firmament, their wings spread out straight, one toward another, and each one had two which covered one side, and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. And so we see that, uh, that once again, the, the two wings up and the two wings covering themselves. And, and so verse 24, and when they went, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And so when, when they moved, it was this, uh, this deafening sound. It was this roar, like rushing water on a mountain stream or being at a waterfall. Would you hear the noise of a, of a giant waterfall? It's thunderous just the the booming voice uh, now of uh, of god and uh, and so uh, here we see that uh, that it reminded ezekiel of of a giant army that that was marching in the thudding of a of an approaching uh, uh, army and when the cherubim stopped uh, then they lowered their uh, their wings and a voice verse 25 came from above the firmament that was over their heads. And whenever they stood, they, they let down uh, their wings. And so as the, uh, as the cherubim would come to a halt, the, their wings stopped. That was when Ezekiel became aware of a, another sound. It was a voice. And the voice was coming from up on top uh, of the crystal, on top of the expanse that was over their heads. And this was the voice of God seated upon the throne. And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. And also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness uh, uh, all around. And so Ezekiel now glances uh, up and at the direction of the voice. And he sees this, this throne, sapphire. And we see that, uh, that seated on the throne was someone who looked like a, a man high above. And uh, Ezekiel's gaze was drawn first to the upper portion of his body and then to the lower portion. And uh, though Ezekiel could describe the cherubim in detail, he has no 
He has no details. Now, all he could say of God was that he, he looked like glowing metal or glowing fire. And that was, uh, was all the likeness that, uh, that he had. The splendor of his glory now was so bright that, uh, that Ezekiel could, could only see his form, kind of the shape, before he was forced to look down. The, the brightness around the Lord's throne was as the appearance of a, uh, of a bow that's in the clouds, verse 28, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. And this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. We see that Ezekiel now noticed the, the radiance that were surrounding now the, the, the throne. And it, it looked like a, a, a rainbow, the multi colored splendor refracted from the blazing light of God's glory. And, and you'll remember that John also describes the same beauty in Revelation chapter 4, the, uh, the picture of the throne room there. And, and so here again, Ezekiel clearly states that it was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And so we see here that he didn't see uh, God. He saw just the appearance of the likeness. Ezekiel is, is seeing a theophany, uh, which is that God had appeared to him in a, in a visionary form. And so by using the terms appearance and likeness, Ezekiel is pointing out that he had not seen God directly. That would have caused his immediate death. No one can see God and live. And so we see that when a person has a, a vision, what happens is, is that they are given the capacity or they're given the ability to peer into the spiritual realm, to, to peer into that realm. God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship in, in spirit and truth. So it is a realm. The spirit is a realm. It's beyond our three dimensions that we know and that we experience, but this spiritual dimension. And, uh, and so here we see that, uh, that he was given the, the capacity to see into that spirit realm. And so when I saw it, this is Ezekiel's response now, I fell on my face. He just falls down on his face. And I heard the voice of one speaking. And so, humble submission, he just falls face down. And so, this is oftentimes the effect of uh, of coming into the, uh, the presence of the, the spiritual realities. We see that John falls down several times in the, in the book of uh, Revelation. He just keeps falling down. And remember the angel's like, don't fall down, get back up. I don't worship me. And, you know, and all of that and, uh, and stuff. But uh, here we see that, uh, that Ezekiel falls down. Daniel fell on uh, his face as well. And uh, and so, chapter 2, verse 1. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and, and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. 
And so when God tells Ezekiel to stand, notice this. He gives him the provision that enabled him to be able to stand. It says that the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me, and it was the Spirit that set me on my feet. It was like I had, I had no control, I had no strength in me. But we see once again that when God calls us to anything, he will give us the provision to be able to accomplish it. There is always the provision that God gives to us in order to enable us to be able to do what he has called us to. Now, he has called us to walk in the Spirit. He says, if you will walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts uh, of the flesh. And so how do I overcome the temptations of my flesh? I overcome the temptations of my flesh, not through willpower, not through self-denial, not through saying, I am never, ever, never, never, ever, never, ever going to do that, ever, never again. It, it is not uh, through your own personal strength that you're going to be able to overcome the flesh. You see, the flesh cannot discipline the flesh into godliness. The, the flesh can't overcome the, the flesh. It is only the spirit that can overcome uh, the flesh. And so when God calls us to, to follow after Jesus, what has he done? He, he gives us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives to enable us to be able to do that. Now, we have to choose to die to ourselves and to now walk in the Spirit and trust in the power of the Spirit. And then when we're able to overcome the temptation, all glory goes to God because it was the Spirit that helped us to overcome the temptation, what we couldn't do in our own flesh. So we experience the victory and God gets the glory. And, and that is the way that he has now designed for us to be interacting. God tells him to stand up, but what does he do? He has the Spirit enter him and strengthen him and lift him so that he's able to, to stand up. Sometimes we can go through trials and difficulties and hardships in our lives and, and we just fall down. And God says, stand up now. And he will enable us through the power of the Spirit in the same way that the, the Spirit now enters into Ezekiel and, and picks him up. He will pick us up. He will lift us up. He is the, the lifter of our head. And he will enable us and equip us to be able to persevere through, through any difficulty, any hardship that, uh, that you might be going through. And, and you get tired and you get weary. But Paul would say that when I'm weak, then he is he's strong on my behalf, then I'm not able. But he is a, able. And, and so we see that, that enablement, that relationship with God through the power of the Spirit. Listen, he never created us to live independent of him, to be these godly men and these godly women in, in our own strength. He created us to, to, to be an electric appliance. <laughs> a toaster is a wonderful invention. It does a great job of cooking toast. If it's plugged into an outlet, but not being plugged into the outlet, it 
doesn't work. It wasn't meant to work, not being plugged in. It wasn't the engineers didn't design it to work without being plugged in. You were designed to be plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then we think, okay, I got it. I'm going to be good. I'm not going to sin. You know, we unplug ourselves and it's like, you know, I'm just going to go do this and I'm going to be good and, and all. And you, you found out that you just detached yourself from the source that would enable you to do what you're wanting to actually do. Jesus said it a different way, didn't he? He said that he's the vine and you're the branch. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. You have to be plugged in. So the Spirit of God is going to fill you. And now you are going to be walking in the Spirit. And so just the dependency upon God. It's just interesting that you know, our natural bent is to think that, uh, that, spirit, that maturity means independence. You know, the little child, I can do it myself. I can now tie my shoe. I can buckle my pants. I can get myself into my car seat. I don't need you any longer. I'm big enough now. You know, and, and they're fighting for that, that independence to say that, that now I'm a, uh, I'm a big person. And, and Sometimes we can translate that same attitude into our spirituality to where it's like, okay, I've read the scriptures. I know what I'm supposed to do. I, I, you know, I got it. Now I'm going to go and, and do it. And you can watch, you know, uh, and, and, all. and he's like, I'm going to watch you fall on your face is what I'm going to uh, watch you do, you know, but if you want me to watch, I'll, I'll stand back and, and watch. And it's not till we really learn that complete dependence uh, that dependence upon God to be able to love and to be able to forgive and to be able to be gentle and kind and, and long-suffering, all, all of that. We have such limited capacity in our own strength. And, and as you mature as a, a believer, you think that you're going to grow in your natural ability to do that. You're not going to. It, you, what, what's going to happen is you're going to grow in your awareness of your dependence <laughs> upon God uh, for those a attributes uh, in, in your life. So Ezekiel sees this amazing vision and falls on his face. <laughs> falls on his face and, and now the voice of God talks to him and tells him to stand up. I will speak to you. And the Spirit enters him and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Now, remember that when he is receiving this vision now, he's in Babylon, uh, the, uh, the second captivity has taken place, but there's still the, the nation that is still back in, in Jerusalem. And what God is telling Ezekiel here is, is the reason that they're in captivity is because they are stubborn and because they have rebelled. But notice this. He says, they and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. In other words, it is still going on. They are still being disobedient and stiff-necked, even to the very day that he is receiving this. So he's being commissioned to go to the children of Israel, 
to, to those who are in captivity. And, and we see that Jeremiah is still back in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah is still uh, prophesying there in Jerusalem, and, and Daniel is also there in, in Babylon uh, as well. Uh, and so here he says now in verse 4, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet uh, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And so here we see that uh, once again, rather than acknowledging God's chastisement upon them, and repenting and confessing their sins, the, uh, the Jewish exile viewed their time in Babylon as temporary. This is just a temporary setback, and we are going to be back once again in our own land. And they refused to admit their sin or to believe the threat of impending judgment on the rest of the disobedient nation. And so we see that Ezekiel's task was to declare God's word. Now, whether they would respond to God's word uh, or not uh, was the people's own responsibility. But uh, in the end, uh, they would come to recognize that a prophet uh, had been uh, among them. And, and so, verse 6, And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, Though briars and thorns are with you and you dwell among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. And so three times God tells Ezekiel, do not be afraid, listen, to obey me. Do not be afraid to obey God. Do not be afraid to live by the standard of uh, of God. Don't be afraid of what your friends are going to say. Don't be afraid of what anybody is going to, to think uh, about you or, or, or judge you for the fact that you won't enter into the, uh, the things that the world are, uh, are doing and, and all. Don't be afraid to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength. Don't don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated by this culture and by the day in which we are living. We are living in a day when darkness is being declared light and light is being declared as, as darkness. It is about as confusing a time as, as I have ever seen. And so there is that, that, that reticence to kind of you know, put it out there who, who we are and a reluctance to, to, to go before and to represent but here we see that God is telling him, do not be afraid. He needed this encouragement because the task was, uh, was difficult and even dangerous. But here's what I want you to know. Ezekiel learned the lesson well. Nowhere in, in, in the entire book do we even see a hint 
that he hesitated or that he cowered in fear to proclaim God's message. And, and so you remember Jeremiah. Remember <laughs> Jeremiah was speaking to the stubborn, stiff-necked that were there in, in Jerusalem and, and they threw him in dungeon. They threatened his life. They were angry. They would shake their heads. They would scream at him. And, and finally, Jeremiah says, you know what? That's it. I'm not going to speak anymore. I'm just not going to tell them anymore. They don't want to hear it. And, and when they're treating me like this, I don't want to be treated like this. So I'm just not going to say it anymore. And then he found <laughs> that it started to burn inside him like a burn, and he couldn't keep his mouth shut. It's like, okay, I'll keep telling him. <laughs> but we don't see, Ezekiel never went through any of that. God, God says, don't be afraid, Ezekiel. Go. I'm sending you. I'll be with you. Though scorpions and briars are, are what lie in front of you, know that, that I am going to be with you. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. And, and so here's something that's really interesting, is, is that Ezekiel's not responsible for what they do with the truth once he has declared it. He's not responsible for what others do. We are not responsible for what others do. We are only responsible for our own actions, to be obedient to the Lord. He says, but you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. I used to say that to my children all the time. <laughs> Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Do not be rebellious. No, open it. <laughs> Do not be rebellious. Okay, it's an airplane. You know, I mean, but here we see, you know, don't be rebellious, Ezekiel. I want you to eat what I am going to, uh, to give to you. And now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was uh, in it. And then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. And so we see now that a scroll is, is passed to him and, and we see that he is now asked to consume it. And, and so that, that, that consuming of it can mean you know, to, to read it, to absorb it, to study it, to immerse yourself in it. And, and so it was written on both sides. That's unusual. Normally a scroll was only written on, on one side of it. John also in Revelation, you remember, was given a scroll and told to, to eat it as, a, as well. And so we see kind of the, the response of, of devouring now the things that are in the scroll. And, and so next time we will pick it up as we see now that he will be obedient and, and we will see his, his ministry move forwards. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be courageous, to not be afraid, to trust you in all things and, and to not try and live independent of you, to not try and do it on our own, 
but to yield and to the power of the Spirit in, in our lives and that we would walk in the Spirit, that, Lord, that you would be pleased and that we would get victory and, Lord, you would get glory. And so, God, help us now. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.